Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, draw near to us. Draw near to us weary sinners that we might know Your grace more deeply, that we might know the light of the countenance of Your face, that You might make us whole again. Lead us during this season of Advent to draw near to You, that we would know Your peace and refreshment always. Guide us through Your Word this day and plant it within us that You would accomplish this healing and this wholeness for us. That we might always give You the glory through our Son, through Your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and and remember not iniquity forever. This first Sunday of Advent is a Sunday of change. It's one of reflection upon what we, in fact, thought about last week, Christ's return. Advent is not only about preparing for Christ's coming at Christmas, a preparing and a reflecting upon the feast of Christmas and the birth of our Savior, but as we heard today, It's a reflection upon that future coming. It's a remembrance that Christ will come again. That that first coming and the second coming are interwoven together. In fact, they are so interwoven together in Scripture that in the Old Testament, they're often put together in such a way that many at Christ's first coming assumed that the end was about to happen right then. That coming in a Messiah to save and then coming to judge are so close together in the Old Testament. In fact, one of my professors in seminary often used a mountain range as an example of that. The mountain range is an example of the reality of prophecy in the Old Testament because what happens when you look at a mountain range far away? All the mountains look like they're just lined up right next to each other. And that's how prophecy about the Messiah is in the Old Testament. The prophet was seeing the future from his position in time, and that future was like a long mountain range in front of him, and he's seeing these details. And it looks like it's just all happening simultaneously, all together, much like that mountain range. But yet, if you went to that mountain range, and you climbed up to the top of the first mountain you came to, and you looked around, you would suddenly realize that there are wide valleys between each mountain, that there are spaces all around you, that there is room from mountain to mountain. At a distance, they look like they all just fold into each other, but once you get there, once you get right on top of that mountain, you realize that there is great gaps, that you can't just jump from one mountain to the next. You have to spend time going down the first mountain into the deep valley, And traveling across that valley up to the next mountain. There's a profound amount of space. Even if they look like they're all next to each other from a distance. There's much variation and difference between each mountain. That space between the mountains you can't account for. When you're far away looking at it. 
It's space that wasn't recognized due to not being in the actual moment, but only seeing it from afar. And that's how Advent is for us. It's both and a reflection upon that first coming, but also a looking forward to and a reflection upon His coming at the end when He truly rends the heavens and comes down, as Isaiah said. Here in Advent, we see both simultaneously side by side laying on top of each other. And the reason we do that is because His first coming is the guarantee of His second. He first came for us lost and weary sinners. He came to redeem us, to die for our sins. But He will come again to fully restore us to what God intended in the beginning. And so today, we're reflecting upon that reality of the fact that we are sinners in need of salvation. Which means that we must reflect upon that reality of repentance as we think about Christ's first coming and His second coming together. It should draw us toward repentance, toward seeing our need for those comings, seeing that need for redemption, but also that need for the complete restoration of all things. And that's why this verse 9 jumped out at me this week. Here in Isaiah 64 verse 9, Isaiah just cries out, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. This is a word of repentance from Isaiah. See, in this passage in chapter 64 is part of the second half of Isaiah where he is looking forward, where he is seeing a vision of the future. He has predicted that Babylon will come and wipe out Jerusalem. But then God gives him a vision of how He will restore all things, how the people will return from their exile. God will send them into exile, but in that exile they will return to the Lord. They will call out upon Him once more. They will seek His face. They will seek His forgiveness and He will turn back to them. He will bring them comfort once more. He will bring them back into His fellowship. He will restore them. And it flows out of them being driven into exile and driven to repentance to finally see the conclusion of their sinful ways, to see the conclusion of their idolatry. They are driven from that promised land and it seems like God has forgotten His promise. For we hear about that in Isaiah 64. We hear about how God was angry and thus the people sinned. In their sins, they have been a long time. They have been suffering for their sins. How shall they be now saved? All of their good deeds they have seen are like filthy garments. We all fade like a leaf, he says in verse 6. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Having just come out of fall, we know what it is like for a leaf to fade away. And even more so this year after the drought we had during the summer. The leaves in my yard, if I just touch them, they just crumble to dust. They're so dried out, so withered up, so faded now. And that is how the people of Israel felt in their exile. That they were driven out of the land. They were driven from the Lord because of their sin. And now they are turning back. They are repenting. 
But they know that the Lord's face is still turned from them and they feel as though they melt in their iniquities. But here Isaiah speaks for the people in verse 8 when he says, But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay and You are our potter. We are all the work of Your hand. He knows that God is at work in His people and that's why he cries out suddenly after that, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord. Remember not iniquity forever. The people are being driven into repentance slowly, but surely the Lord is reshaping them. The Lord is molding them. The Lord is using them like clay and making them into the kind of pottery He desires. And so in the work of His hands, Isaiah says, be not so terribly angry. We are repenting. We are responding. We are turning to You, O Lord. Let Your face turn back to us. Advent draws us into that reality of repentance alongside that reflection on Christ's first and second coming. We have to recognize why Christ came into this world. We should be drawn into that recognition of Christ's coming. So many things are written about Advent being about anticipation and hope and preparation. And and all that discussion... We neglect how those are all infused with that reality of our need for repentance. That the anticipation, hope, and preparation is infused with repentance. It's a repentant anticipation. It's a repentant hope. It's a repentant preparation. After all, we've brought out the color purple once more. The color purple is a color for repentance in the liturgical calendar. It's a color used for Lent where the accent is absolutely upon repentance. Advent has that same emphasis on repentance. We have hope and joy and peace and love mixed into that repentance. But nonetheless, repentance is there and we often overlook it so easily and don't think about Advent as being that time of repentance as well. As a time of preparation, and preparation means repentance. It means turning from our sins. It means turning toward our profound need for forgiveness. Turning toward that profound God who comes down from heaven as a man. Who sends His Son into this world to be born of the Virgin Mary. That we might then come to know salvation through His work. We prepare through repentance We hope through repentance. We anticipate through repentance. We see that we desperately need to turn from our old ways. And not just turn from our old ways, but to turn even from our current ways. And to turn from our future ways as well, for it is all tainted by sin. We must always be turning back to this God of promise. This God who has made a way through the incarnation for us weary sinners. You see, we need repentance and Advent reminds us of that as it reminds us of that coming of Christ. For Christ came into this world to save sinners. He came into this world to redeem those who are lost. He came into this world to redeem even those who have turned away purposefully. Not just those who are tainted by sin and who are just like sheep who are wandering around and astray. But He even comes for those who are hard-hearted, who have turned from the Lord who have purposely rejected Him, He even comes for them and calls them to Himself and works toward them and pours out grace toward them. And in His coming, both the first and second times, 
He is bringing about the fulfillment of His promises. And one of those grand and glorious promises is a redemption of the whole world, a healing of the world itself. For after all, we look all around us and we know that this world is not healed. We know that this world is a broken place. We see the brokenness all around us. And we tend to point our fingers at everyone else when it comes to those problems. We point our fingers at people that are far away who cause all these problems with their selfishness. And it's true, there are many far away people who cause problems because of their selfishness. It creates so many struggles for so many people. Many of our own personal struggles and our needs have been caused by others in so many ways. And so we cry out for God to deal with those people in His time. That's what we hear of in Psalm 80 today. There in Psalm 80 we hear the psalmist crying out for God to restore us again. The psalmist sees that God is angry with His people, even though they are praying. And he recalls how God is the one who brought the people out of Egypt, that He planted them in the land. And yet now, after all this growth, after the expansion of Israel, the hedges were broken down and the wild boar came in and the wild animals came in and destroyed the land. They are rooting up the vine. They are doing damage to it. Strangers walk by and pluck its fruit. What are they to do? Why is God letting this happen? Part of it is because there is evil in this world. Evil people have come and assaulted Israel. But those evil ones were brought in by God to bring punishment to His people because of their idolatry, because of their sinfulness, because of their waywardness. And it's right and good for the psalmist to be crying out about these injustices that are being done to the people. That he cries out, Restore us again. And turn your face upon us. Turn your countenance toward us, the light of your countenance, and make us whole. The brokenness in this world is not only those all all around us, but it flows out of us as well. We have our own personal selfishness. We have our own personal ways of doing things that are sinful that bring affliction to others. Our personal sins create ripples and waves throughout and all around us that affect those who are with us. We create struggles and pain for others. Thus we are called to repentance. Thus we are always called to personal repentance. We are called to see that our sins are part and parcel of the problems in the world around us. Hence Isaiah's words, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. But as I said, uh, Psalm 80 brings a balance to that. As we deal with the afflictions that we have created, we are receiving afflictions from all around us. Evil has been done to us, but great evil we have done as well. We separate ourselves from the Creator. We separate ourselves from the Redeemer. And so we must always cry out for God to not be angry, to not look upon us with anger, to bring upon us the light of His countenance once more, to bring His forgiveness, to bring His faithfulness, to bring His kindness. 
And so Advent leads us into that reality of the hope of a God who has made great promises to offer mercy. To bring His faithfulness down upon us. That we are in a sin of exile. We are in an exile of sin right now. Here on this earth, even as we are being healed, this earth is in a form of exile for not all things have been made perfect. Much like Israel went into exile because of her sins, this world, because of its sinfulness, has a separation from God. It has left God behind. It has become broken because of its rejection of the Lord. Because it worshipped itself instead of the one who created it, the one who promised goodness, the one who promised faithfulness, the one who promises mercy. Israel forsakes God and the whole world forsakes God. But nonetheless, God is faithful. God makes His promises so that we can cry out in hope. We look back at that first coming of Christ as but a baby in the, in the manger, as but a baby in swaddling cloths, a baby born of a virgin who is truly God in the flesh. We look at how He dies for our sins, how He deals with the sin of the whole world, and yet is raised back to life, being infused with a new kind of life that He then spreads out from Himself, that He sends forth by His Spirit into this world to redeem and to draw people to Himself. And we look forward to the end when He returns, when He makes all things new, when He rends the heavens and comes down, when He brings the full restoration and He strips away sin from us and He strips away sin from the whole of creation, when the fullness of the light of His countenance turns upon the whole creation, And His full redemption is made known and revealed. He makes Himself known to all creation in a new way. And all the brokenness is wiped away. All the tears are taken care of. All the pain and suffering comes to an end. The exile will end completely and totally and be fully seen as having ended. The people turned away and they were led into exile. But God worked renewal through that exile. And thus the people turned back to Him ever looking forward to a new reality of Him restoring them by His grace. And so they continually cry out, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord. Remember not iniquity forever. Paul also crying out, Restore us again, O God. Show the light of your countenance and we shall be whole. And the beauty is that Yahweh has responded perfectly, as I said, to all of these prayers. He responds and is no longer terribly angry. He responds and He has begun a restoration. He deals with our sin in Christ and day in and day out He continually deals with that sin for us. And this is another aspect of Advent that I love and adore. That as we reflect on that first coming, we reflect on that last coming, there's still the continual coming of Christ to us through His Word and through the sacrament. That He continually comes and works this restoration in us. He continually comes and directs our eyes and reminds us that He is not terribly angry, for He has not remembered our iniquity. 
For He has dealt with it in Christ. And so He comes. Jesus comes to us. When we hear His promises, He is coming to us. He is coming to restore us, to make us whole through His promises by directing our eyes to the great and glorious redemption that is sure to come because we have received the down payment. We have received a guarantee by receiving the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is that guarantee, that treasure that we have a full redemption, a full restoration, a full healing, of being made whole in a way that we have never known. That is the restoration that is coming to us that we know day in and day out as we receive Christ as He comes to us through Word. Through His sacrament He comes to us. Every week we celebrate communion and receive the body and blood of Christ through this bread and wine. That there He is coming to us to restore us coming to us to remind us that He is no longer terribly angry. To remember and remind us that He no longer remembers our iniquity. For we have turned to Him. We have received from Him grace upon grace. We have been made whole by being united to this God-man. And He comes to us when we are baptized. He unites Himself to us in our baptisms so that we would walk that path that He calls us upon. In every moment that we remember our baptisms, Martin Luther said, whenever you get up out of bed, the first thing you should do is mark yourself with the cross and say, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and remember that you are baptized. And say, I am baptized. I live in the reality of being marked with Christ forever. I live in the reality that Christ comes to me, that He has come to me and He remains with me. In this broken world, in this broken life that I live, I continually turn back to Him for He has turned His face in kindness toward me. The light of His countenance shines upon even me, a weary sinner in this broken world. For I am continually reminded of His promise that He is faithful even when we are faithless. Now, even when we stumble and fall in this broken world, He remains perfectly faithful, calling us back to Himself. Even when we turn towards sin, He tar- calls us and turns us back to Himself. And we respond and receive the light of His countenance, the light of His face shining upon us as He comes to us continually. And that is where our hope is. Our hope this Advent is that Christ will come to us continually. That He came once and He will come again to restore all things, but He comes even now to us in a hidden way, hidden under His Word, hidden under the bread and the wine, hidden in water, hidden in our prayers. He comes to us always and forever so that we can cry out in hope for mending So we can cry out to this God to bring us that healing over and over and over. And so as we say with Isaiah, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. As we feel the weight of our sins upon us, Christ says to us, You are mine. I have bought you with a price. And that price was my own shed blood. And you belong to me. And thus I will not be terribly angry anymore. I will not remember iniquity forever because I dealt with that iniquity. I dealt with that sin. I dealt with your idolatry and your coveting. I dealt with your adulteries and your theft and your murders. 
I dealt with your lying. I dealt with your dishonoring of those I gave to you to lead you. I have dealt with it all and you turn in repentance that you might receive what I am giving to you this day. And so let us cry out, be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and then receive that promise that He has dealt with that sin that brought about His anger, that brought about His wrath, that it has been dealt with in Christ, that One who came, that One who is coming, and that One who is always coming to us through His Word and His sacrament to restore us, to make us whole once more. And so as we cry out, be not so terribly angry, we cry out, restore us again. And show the light of your countenance, and we shall be whole. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.